Well, if you're joining in with us for one of the first times this Sunday, you can be assured we're going to be in Psalm 119 for the next many weeks as we continue on through this alphabet of prayers that is Psalm 119. This morning we are in the Hebrew letter Vav. It starts with a W, but pronounced with a V as we see it translated for us in your text in Psalm 119. But as you flip there, and you probably at this point made that your custom to go ahead and begin in Psalm 119, I'd like for you, if you would, to keep that bookmarked and actually to open your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is where we're going to begin the very initial portion of our sermon text before we dive into Psalm 119 in this Vav text. In Vav, in this letter, as a reminder, Psalm 119 is absolutely incredible. Every eight verses begins with a Hebrew letter. And every one of those eight verses begins with that Hebrew letter until you go to the next letter. And then each one begins in that way. And it's an absolute incredible testimony of the Lord's goodness, the Lord's creativity, the Lord's kindness to us, and to give us something so incredibly rich, challenging, and deep for us to swim in. So our challenge we've had consistently is to read through Psalm 119, and then likewise to pray through the coming eight verses. So to read through on once a week together as an individual or as a family, Psalm 119, and then to pray the upcoming eight verses as we walk through preparing for the sermon that we walk through together and sitting under His Word. Now, in our text of Psalm 119, we're going to walk through three attributes, three insights into the voice of God. Three insights in the voice of God. As we discuss the voice of God, I think it's wise for us to actually begin in the Gospel of John. So much of the Gospel of John and the New Testament, as Jesus comes on the scene, is this constant interactions, this tension of, how do I know the voice of God? How do I know the voice of God? And so you have the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, who are the doorkeepers of the Word of God. Now, historically, as we remember, when the southern kingdom of Judah is taken off and destroyed by Babylon, what takes place is this understanding that the temple is no more, and so synagogues begin to pop up. And synagogues are like what we have with churches. It was a place in which the Jewish people would gather to read the Scripture, to read the law of God, and to pray, and to gather. And they had their faith communities here. And so when Jesus comes on the scene 400 years later, we have Jesus interacting with so many of these various settings consistently again and again. He goes into them, and He interacts with them, and He interacts with the teachers, the Pharisees, and sometimes they're called, as we'll see here in John chapter 9, they're just called the Jews, the leaders. It's shorthand for speaking about those who are ruling in the synagogues, these synagogues that are popped up all over the place. Now, why is this important as we discuss the voice of God and understanding the insights into the voice of God? Here's why. Because the Jewish leaders thought that they knew the voice of God, and when Jesus comes on the scene, even though those Jewish leaders knew Psalm 119 incredibly well and all the rest of the Scriptures, they did not really know the shepherd. They didn't really know the Spirit who inspired the Word. They had missed it. They had missed the voice of God. And Jesus and His interactions, this happens again and again and again. And what's going to take place is the Jewish leaders are going to put this ban on the synagogue. So if you as a Jew or a God-fearing Greek come and confess that Jesus is the Messiah, 
they are going to disfellowship you from the synagogue. They're kicking you out. You're gone. You're done. And this becomes a major point of fear because you're thinking, I'm being cut off from God if I confess faith and trust in Jesus alone, the Messiah. This is the interaction and the environment by which Jesus is walking. So look over in John chapter 9. We're going to go to John 8 later so you can keep this marked. We're going to look at a lot of different texts this morning. So uh, you'd be wise to follow along with a Bible, Pewback Bible in front of you if you don't have one. But in John chapter 9, Jesus has the first of a number of run-ins. Well, not the first. We're just one we're, in, we're airdropping in on right here. And if you actually look back into chapter 8, verse 51, interacting with the Jewish leaders, they accuse him of having a demon. Not very nice. In verse 51, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if, if anyone keeps my word, Jesus speaking, he will never see death. Down in verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, but it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, he says to the Jewish leaders. These people that knew the Scriptures, the Word of God incredibly well, he says, You have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. The interaction goes on in 59, and they pick up stones to throw at him, to kill him, to stone him. But Jesus himself, it wasn't time to give up his life yet, so he goes up out of the temple. This interaction to the question of what is the voice of God? Who knows God? Jesus comes with the Jewish leaders and says, you may have thought that you knew this, but you really didn't know this. You may have thought that you knew the Father, you knew God, but if you really knew him, you would know me. You would hear my voice and you would cling to it. Now, chapter 9. He leaves and he interacts here in chapter 9 with this blind man, this man blind from birth. This is a quick survey of this. Verse 3. And they ask a question. His disciples ask a question of the blind man. Is it it that this man sinned or his parents sinned? Why is it? We're going to meet his parents in just a minute. But Jesus answers, no, 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 no. But that the works of God might be displayed through him in him. And so he spits on this dirt, he makes mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go and wash. And this man that was born blind, now all of a sudden he physically sees. Physically sees, but soon he's going to truly spiritually see as well for the first time. So he goes and he washes and and, and the Pharisees hear of this. So they bring the man in. And the question that they have, they begin to confront him and they ask him who he is. And in 17 of John chapter 9, he says, well, he's a prophet. The Jews are overwhelmed as this reputation of this man is clearly blind, and now he can see. So they say, well, maybe he wasn't really blind from birth. So they summon his parents, and they bring his parents in. In verse 18, they call his parents into him, and and we go down to verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They're, They're giving very clear, censored answers to make sure they don't get in more trouble because they fear being cast out of the synagogue, the place where the Scriptures are, the place where they thought they would hear the Word of God, where they would hear the voice of their shepherd. They don't want to be cut off from there. So what do they do? They bring back in the man again. They bring back in the man that was blind, but now he sees. So in verse 27 of chapter 9, he answered them, I've told you already. 
and you would not listen, why do you want to hear it again? And the interaction continues on. You go down to verse 32. And the blind man that can now see says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out, out of the synagogue. They cut him off because this man is believing Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus hears about it. He hears what they've done. They hear that they cut him off from the synagogue, the voice of God, the voice of the Scriptures, where they're being read and studied. And and so what's he do in verse 35? Here we go, verse 35. Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man, that Daniel 7 title? And he answered and and said, "And, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Isn't that incredible? A man born blind, for the first time he's able to answer, yes, I have seen him. I haven't seen anybody, but now I see him. You've seen him. I can't get past the beauty of that statement. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, down in verse 40, and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus gives that statement, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you Now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. He says, yes, you are blind. The blind man now sees. The Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, has given the blind man eyes to see. And that man responds in kind by worshiping and following after Jesus because this man is one of his sheep. And even though the Pharisees had unfiltered access to the Word of God, the Scriptures, they did not see Jesus. They did not really see the shepherd. They were the ones truly blind. Still with the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders here, the the interaction continues into John chapter 10, which is what I want to touch on here before we dive into Psalm 119. Cannonball right in. He gives this example, the shepherd language. Truly, truly, in chapter 10, verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. Jesus is making this statement. He is the door. Look down in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear His voice. He calls His own sheep by name, and He leads them out. Verse 4, when He has brought out all His own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. He continues on, and He gives this language here. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Ah, this figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying. So he continues on with the Pharisees in this interaction. He fleshes it out for him very clearly. Over to verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's riffing off Ezekiel 34 there, calling the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders bad shepherds, hired hands. Verse, Verse 14. Again, there were those that were to steward the voice of God, but they did not do so. Verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And the distinction in verse 16, I will bring them out also. He's talking of the Gentile, so they're going to come to faith in Christ, to which we are blessed to be among them, and they will listen to my voice. This is the distinguishing mark. He continues on, divisions spread. The Pharisees are increasingly angered. Go down to verse 27. He's continuing to address them. 
And he gives this statement. It's one you've probably heard before. Verse 27, the primary text we're going to be jumping into with Psalm 119. In verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus, the Messiah, fully God, fully man. The Jewish leaders respond in kind, and they pick up stones to try to kill him once again. Now, keep this marked because we're going to come back to John 8 at a point in our sermon when Psalm 119 fits right in that with Vav. Here's the question as we come to Psalm 119. How can we be students of Scripture and make sure we're listening to the voice of the shepherd? How can we, as students of Scripture, make sure that we're listening to the voice of the shepherd, that we don't spend our time in the text and miss the voice of the shepherd? In our text, we'll notice three insights into the voice of the shepherd. That we would be a people that, like in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That's the calling that God has for us as we're exposed to His Word, and that's the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119. He desires the Word of the Lord. He desires to hear the Word of the shepherd. He desires to know Him intimately because He's the sheep of the shepherd. And therein he desires to follow him unashamedly with his life. Do we know Jesus? So let's look at these three insights into the voice of the great shepherd. Verse 41 through 43, we notice first that the shepherd's faithful voice will steady his sheep despite the persisting echoes of the world. The shepherd's faithful voice will steady his sheep despite the persisting echoes of the world. Though Jesus, the Word of God made flesh and dwelling among us, was here, it did not silence the world. It did not silence opposition. And so too in Psalm 119, as we look at these texts, we'll notice that even though he clings to the Word of God, he clings to the voice of the shepherd. The voice of those around him will not cease to taunt him. Verse 41 through 43 of Psalm 119, Vav. Let your steadfast love come to me, the psalmist says, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise, and then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. The beginning of verse 41, he uses that word we've already spent a good measure of time on, that word hesed, this merciful, faithful, promise-keeping love of God. Parallelism, your salvation is according to your promise. The salvation of God, the promises of God are found in Christ. Salvation are found according to the promises of God. There is no hope apart from the great shepherd. And that's what Jesus said in that text. He is the, sh the sheep door. He is the door to the pen. He alone suffices. He is the shepherd of the sheep. There's no other good shepherd. There's only hired hands. There's only one true shepherd for his sheep. That's the beauty of the text, and that's what's preached consistently throughout. And so the sheep desire and they long to know the voice of the shepherd. 
as He leads them. Look over at Acts chapter 4. So keep this bookmark. Go over to Acts chapter 4. If you're in the Pew Bible, that's page 912. Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. We're going to flip quite a bit today, several different texts. So you can see that this theme is everywhere. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see that we truly know the voice of the shepherd by those that are in Christ. This is the offense that Jesus preaches. This is the offense, the true offense. It's offensive because it's true. By nature of being true, it's exclusive. There's only one door in to know the shepherd by Jesus. And this is what Peter and John are preaching in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. And so Peter and John, they're they're preaching in Jerusalem before the scribes and the Jewish religious leaders. They're around them. And listen to what he says. It sounds just like what we just read in 41 through 43 of Psalm 119. And it sounds just like what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Verse 8. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, he addresses them, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, healed this man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name. In Galatians, we called it no other gospel, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter and John proclaimed this no other name truth, which is just like what we have in verse 41. The psalmist understands. He says, let your steadfast love, your hesed, come to me, O Lord. Yahweh, your salvation, according to your promise. There is no other hope. There is no other hope for the sheep but by the shepherd. The shepherd's voice. There is no salvation outside the promises of God. And the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. You will find no hope anywhere else. No true hope. The language of the name is a, na- it is a language of authority. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, no under authority under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the voice of the shepherd found in the word of God that counters the taunts of the world. Now, if you read through Acts, you'll know that Acts chapter 4 doesn't end the scene. It'd be great if what I just finished, everything was great and they walked away and everything was good. And everybody got along. And the religious leader said, oh, that's cool. Good to know. Now, we know this is going to end with beatings and ultimately executions that will take place for proclaiming Christ. As we look through church history, we see the same. Just because the sheep cling to the voice of the shepherd, found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that the taunts of the world will ever stop. They will never stop until the beast will be crushed and vanquished. So what do the sheep do in the midst of the taunts of the world? They cling to the steady voice of their shepherd. They cling to the steady voice of the shepherd. 
like the blind man who was cut out of the synagogue. He sees Jesus. He worships Him. And He follows His Word. Sheep today, today, in Nacogdoches County, regardless of the taunts of the world, you cling to the voice of the shepherd, and he steadies you in the face of the taunts of the world. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 5, the world taunts, I won't give you time to flip there, but Matthew 5, 10 through 12, the beginning of the Beatitudes, some of you took that as a personal challenge, I said I won't give you time to flip there. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this statement, they taunt you because you're of me. They're taunting you. Don't take it personal. It's not about you, sheep. It's about me, your shepherd. And so he says in chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This causes him, in verse 43, he requests of the Lord, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. The psalmist speaks like a man that has a past. The psalmist speaks like a man that knows what it was to go through life without the voice of God abiding in it. And it's that speaking that gives him an appreciation and an honest request of the Lord. Lord, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. And your story is you know Christ. Every one of us in this room that knows Jesus Christ has a story. The story by which we came face to face with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that he saved us from our bad news, but included in our bad news before we met Christ is a past. Now yes, we press forward, we look forward to the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. But I think there is insight and wisdom to remember what the Lord has saved us from. And may that realization of the life you had before you came to Christ, this drifting, this anchorless life, this wandering sheep life, would entice us evermore to long for the voice of the shepherd and to cling to it, abiding in his word. I think that's what he's doing in verse 43. So we've noticed first the shepherd's faithful voice will steady his sheep despite the persisting echoes of the world. We go to verse 44 and 45, and we notice secondly that the shepherd's faithful voice is on display. It's on display in the life of his sheep. The shepherd's faithful voice is on display in the life of his sheep. So action. Verse 44 through 45. The psalmist says, I will keep your law continually. How long? Forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place. Why? For I have sought your precepts. Just as the voice of the shepherd, that is the spirit-filled and spirit-breathed word, the Spirit of God helps us to apply the word of God in our life faithfully as we walk after him. It's to be put on display in the life of his sheep. The sheep are living out, are acting what the Spirit of God, who's inspired His Word, breathed life into His Word, that Theonustos Word we looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Spirit of God has inspired the Word of God, 
And so the sheep, as we walk through life, as we abide in His Word forever and ever, we are living out the Word of God in this life for a watching world forever and ever. He says, I will keep it. I will keep your law, and I shall walk in a wide place. I shall walk in a wide place. That's an interesting phrase, but I want to think about it for a moment. As a sheep, would you rather be in a tight place or in a wide place? A tight place with low visibility or a wide place where you can see far and wide? You can see your shepherd. The book of Proverbs consistently, it speaks of sins of life, temptation and sin like traps that entrap you and hold you still. All kinds of different sins. They're entrapping on your life. You're, you're in bondage. You can't get away. And if you do get away, you're fearful for how it's going to come back and be used against you later on in life. You're entrapped by it. It seeks to devour you. It seeks to have you, the Scriptures say. What the psalmist is enjoying when he says, I will keep your law continually forever, ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, is basically what we have in 1 Timothy and Titus of the standard for elders, that they're to be men who are living above reproach. They're in the wide area. Their life is above reproach. The Lord's will for every one of us in here is not that we would be captured and entangled by the temptations and sins of this life, but that we would live lives openly, above reproach. That's what the Lord desires for us. That's how He desires to bless us, and that's the blessing that He knows. I shall walk in a wide place, the blessings of living a life above reproach. Now, I said we go back to John chapter 8, so let's go back. John chapter 8, if you have that bookmarked. It is the Word of God. It is taking the voice of God, the Word of God, and living by it, saying, Lord, here's my tradition, here's what I think, but Your Word, Your voice is what I want to do. Your voice is what I want to stand on. I want to know it and I want to do it. I want to do exactly what we saw Jesus say earlier. You said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, Jesus said. We want to follow you. We want to know you and your word and we want to follow you. But the trappings of this world aim to hold you and to bind you. Before you come to faith in Christ, the word says you are a slave of sin. What does Jesus say? How in the world can you and I, people that have been entrapped, ever hope to become free? Well, John chapter 8, verse 25, jump back into the scene before we saw when the Pharisees tried to kill him those few times. John chapter 8, verse 25, we'll begin there. How can we hope to walk in the wide place? Verse 25, the interaction again. And so the Pharisees, they say to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and, and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what he was speaking to them about the Father. That he had been speaking to them about the Father. So, so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Foreshadowing His crucifixion, 
Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, listen, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, my followers, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Will set you free. The psalmist says it, I'll be in the wide places. Jesus says, it's my word that will set you free. The psalmist says, God, it's your word that sets me free to walk in the wide places. Jesus says, it's my word that will set you free. You see the connection? Jesus is claiming to be who? God. Jesus is claiming to be God. The triune God, Yahweh, the Lord. Jesus is the Son in flesh. Jesus is saying, it's my word. Take my word and believe my word. For I am the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Look at this. And the text goes on in 35. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. How shocked they must be. They knew the, the Scriptures, but they didn't know the shepherd. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The text will go on. He'll say, that's the devil. And once again, claiming to be fully God, they'll pick up stones to kill him once again. To seek the Lord in his precepts, to aim to keep the law continually, not to keep the law to be made right with God, but because you are right with God in Christ. If you've turned from sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of sins and newness of life, and the Lord calls you to walk in the wide places. That is to hear His voice, to know Him, and to follow Him. That is His will for us as His sheep. In every age, in every background, Every place of employment, every life, every relationship that you have, that we have, we're called to walk in the wide places, to aim to live above reproach. And that is the blessing of God that the psalmist clings to. That's a blessing available to each of us in Christ. So my fellow little sheep, if you find yourself this morning trapped, call out to your shepherd. Abide in His Word. He'll free you. He is the Good Shepherd who lays His life down for His sheep. If you're a sheep this morning that finds yourself living above reproach and you're in the free places, holler out for your sheep. Look around. Are there any sheep that aren't around, that are in the wide places, that may be trapped somewhere? And go to them and bring with them the voice of the shepherd, that they may be called out. At first, the shepherd's faithful voice will steady his sheep in the midst of the world's persisting echoes. And secondly, the shepherd's faithful voice is on display in the life of his sheep. He desires us to love God and love others, to, to keep his goodness of his word. And thirdly, we come to 46 through 48. The shepherd's faithful voice is articulated through the lips and limbs of his sheep. The shepherd's faithful voice is articulated through the lips 
and the limbs of his sheep. Here we go. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love, and I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. The Lord is in the business of equipping His people with the words of truth, even when they face confounding circumstances. He does it all through the Scriptures. Let's look at three quick locations, three quick times in which God equips His people to speak bold words, true words, His word, in situations that are extremely confounding. So quickly, go towards the beginning of your Bibles, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. The shepherd's faithful voice is articulated through the lips and the limbs of his sheep. If you're in a pew Bible, that's page 47. Three examples in which the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, is articulated through his sheep while his sheep face confounding, intimidating, frightening circumstances. Three of them. First one here in Exodus chapter 4. Now you remember in this scene, we've got the Lord is going to rise up and He's going to bring His people out of captivity. So the Israel and a multitude of others are also going to join them, of the Egyptians it seems, mixed company it says, are going to be led out through the Red Sea and out of captivity. Now in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 is where we're going to be at. We'll just read verse 10 through 17. So you can see this is an example. This is what the Lord does naturally. He takes His sheep and He proclaims His voice through His sheep. And every one of us in this room, wouldn't it be incredible if we could have some kind of database to know all the contacts of people that each of us uniquely know from our childhood all the way till today that each of us has a specific level of credibility with? Your classmates, your friends, everybody from your life, your coworkers, all of those. The Lord desires us to be a people who are unashamed of His Word, speaking His voice, that is His Word, in all of our relationships, and all of our contexts. Look what he says here from Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh and as he calls them up. Again, this is the norm for the sheep. He says, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Remember John chapter 9? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that, that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The Lord raises up Moses and Aaron to speak to the people and to Pharaoh, who has more authority over Israel and Egypt than any situation you and I have ever known. Let's look at a second example. Look quite a bit further back. And if you're in your pew Bible, page 629, the rest of us is Jeremiah chapter 1. Look to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. 
Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. As we parachute in here to Jeremiah, remember the Assyrians have already conquered the northern kingdom, Israel, and led them off. And the Babylonians are going to be knocking on the door for Judah. The Lord is calling Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations who will call Judah to repentance. So we've seen this first example of a situation in which God's people are called to speak the voice of God, the Word of God, to someone that has more political power over them than any situation we could know. Now in this second situation, we have the personal familial pressure that Judah had over the life of Jeremiah. He is of them. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. Here we go again. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, life in the womb. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The Lord uses Jeremiah in a situation of personal intimidation. As he faced and spoke to Judah, a people over him, people around him, a people of him, family. And yet he's called to speak forth the voice of God, the word of God. With boldness. Once again, the Lord is in the business of using His people. The shepherd's faithful voice is articulated through the lips of His people, to governing forces and to peers. And look at the last one we'll look at it. Luke 11, 11. Luke 11, 11. If you're in the Pewback Bible, that's page 869. Luke 11, 11. Through 12. Jesus now to his disciples once again. You notice in all of these scenes, the Lord is calling them to speak, but he's equipping them to speak. They are the sheep following the shepherd, and the shepherd calls them to speak, and they're to speak. He meets them in their weakness and calls them to speak to an observing world. one of political dominance, one of even personal peers as fellow Jews. And now Jesus to his disciples in Luke 11, 11 through 12. See if this sounds familiar. He says specifically to his disciples, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say or what you ought to say. You and I will never know or be called to present the truth of God's Word to anyone that has more political power than Pharaoh had over Egypt or Israel. We will never be called to speak 
in a more intimidating situation than I think Jeremiah faced to Judah. And thirdly, we will never speak in a situation that has more social pressure than the synagogue rulers had over the disciples' lives. But yet, the word of the Lord is spoken through the voice of His sheep who herald His word because His sheep know Him. They follow Him. I said, our lives and our limbs. Our lives and our limbs. Look at verse 48. Back in Psalm 119. The voice of God then is articulated through our lips as we speak Scripture and as we practice the Word of God in our daily lives. The psalmist says in verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. A couple observations here. This is, no, this is nothing new. I won't give you time to flip there, but 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Two quick observations. We'll go to three. Two and a half. First observation. When you read verse 48, you get uncomfortable. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments. So right away, I think an application for me is I need to get over myself when it comes to if I should raise my hands in worship or dedication or reverence to the Lord. Get over myself. Some of us may have a tradition for where we come from where that's very uncomfortable, or some of us may have a tradition where that's very comfortable, but I should get over myself. First application. Second application, this is a resolve that he makes in himself. I will lift up my hands toward your resolve. So we shouldn't pass judgment on anybody else. It shouldn't be a, an aspect of judgment in the context of worshiping of the Lord. We know that he's doing so not to draw attention to himself. He's doing so to draw attention to who? To fix his eyes on the Lord. But in 48, look at this. Did you miss it? I missed this in my study in preparation for this text, this sermon. I was so fixated on the lifting of hands, making, that me, making me slightly uncomfortable, that I missed where he's lifting his hands towards. Now, in multiple psalms, they're lifting their hands to the Lord. And multiple other psalms are lifting their hands toward the temple of God. Remember, the temple in the Old Testament is where the presence of the Lord is manifested with his people. They're bringing sacrifices there. Their worship life is oriented around the temple. So they would have reached their hands toward wherever the Jerusalem was located, where they were at. Their life was oriented around where the temple was. So they lifted their hands there. And in 1 Timothy, too, we assume they're lifting their hands to heaven, to, the, to Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning and interceding for us. But here, where does the psalmist lift his hands? I will lift up my hands toward your what? Your commandments. The psalmist is lifting, lifting his hands toward the Word of God. So wait a minute here. Does that mean the psalmist is like worshiping the Bible? No, he's not. But to hear the voice of God, to know the voice of God, the Lord has spoken for us so sufficiently in His Word that 
What the Word of God says is the authority over our lives, and our lives are meant to be bent towards doing and knowing and following the shepherd by His Word. Jesus makes this exact statement in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The psalmist says, I reach my hands out toward your commandments. The love of God and the reverence of God will lead to a love of and a reverence of His Word. And as His sheep conform their lips and submit their limbs and their lives over to the Word of God, the watching world sees the Word of God take physical form. Relationships are impacted. Lives and destinies are shifted. Marriages are changed. Places of employment, communities are impacted by the sheep of God who aim to live according to the voice of God, given to us sufficiently in His Word for us. To live a life revering the Lord. That's the Lord's call for us. To love Him and to revere His Word. To, to sheep, He knows His sheep. They know Him. They hear His voice and they follow Him. The Jews so revered the word that it said that they would wash their hands while they handled the scrolls because the goodness of the word of God revealed to them made them unclean, they felt. And we know that many of the Jewish leaders, their hands would be clean, but their hearts would be dirty. So I'm not proposing we put sinks in our pews. But I am proposing in our life as we walk through whatever your situation is right now, are you willing to say, Lord, where would your voice lead me? What does your word say for my life? Specifically, what does your word say? And let me conform my life to your word. It's your voice, not my voice. That's the goodness that the Lord gives us. The sheep are not the shepherd, and the shepherd steers his sheep by his voice. Sufficient, necessary, authoritative, and clear voice. That's Vav. That's Vav's. Next steps. Next steps. First, Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So, first question is, what is my response to Christ's word? What is our initial response to Christ's word? If we've been in this service together, as we walk through Vav, this, this letter, these, these, these texts we've spent time un unpacking and sitting under, as you deal with Jesus' statement, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? And if you know him, that leads us secondly to what will you do with your life? What will you do with your life? As one of his sheep, which area of my life do I most need to conform myself to his voice? As I live my life as an offering for the king with my lips and my limbs. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. His voice is good. Trust him. Turn to him. Abide in Him. Follow Him. You do business with the Lord. Will you stand right now with me and lift your voice to the great shepherd?